Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. And now more about today's sponsor. Tired of drinking plain old water at work? Add some flavor and fizz to your day with Bevy, the smart water dispenser. Bevy offers still, sparkling, and flavored water on tap without the waste. Choose from over a dozen zero- and low-calorie flavors made from natural fruit extracts and no artificial ingredients. Bevy helps shrink your carbon footprint, displace over 30,000 plastic bottles a year, and reduces costs by 40-60% to versus bottled or canned beverages. Get a new Bevy machine and receive a $100 gift card. To get this promotion, go to www.bevy.co forward slash hrworks. That's www.bevy.co forward slash hrworks. And now... Back to the episode. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. And speaking of top talent, it seems that the power dynamic between employers and employees has shifted heavily towards employees just in the last few months. Many are leaving their jobs, others are demanding changes and threatening to quit and are actually quitting. Uh, Meanwhile, the market has more unfilled jobs than ever before. I believe they call that a recruiting crisis, but I think the crisis extends a little bit beyond just a recruiting issue. So what does this all mean? Uh, the onus, in my perspective, anyway, the onus of responsibilities on employers to shift and adjust to meet these new challenges. If you are at all concerned about your workforce leaving, now is the time to get your finger on the pulse of the hearts and minds of your employees. At least that's what today's guest is advocating. I happen to agree. We are pleased to have with us today, Sonia Lysina, president of Question Pro Workforce. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here, Jim. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, it's my pleasure too. So, I, I've you know I've got my finger on the pulse of what's going on uh, since this is what I do all day, and it's funny because <laughs> two camps have been sort of rising uh, as employers are seeking to meet this challenge. And there's the camp that understands that you really have to support your individual employees, um, which means you have to understand them. And then there's the people that say, uh, these lazy employees are just loafing around. They want to be on unemployment, you know, and so they, we can't hire them. Uh, I clearly, that can't possibly be true for everybody. So uh, what what is going on in your estimation? What's happening right now? <laughs> well, there is, I, I think, just so much going on. First, globally, we went through such an incredible crisis. And it was a health crisis, of course, but so many people were seeing in our research are really starting to reflect about what is it that I really want and what is it that I want out of work particularly, but what is it that I want out of life? And of course, those two are so incredibly intertwined that you can't figure out one without the other. And so what we're seeing that's happening is that in, in a lot of the research, people generally tended to say that their organizations handled COVID okay that they, you know, took the right precautions, that the organizations that could send people home, sent them home. So what we're not seeing is, at least in the research I'm seeing, is not like a huge backlash around like, oh, we were mistreated and, you know, this was horrible and I'm leaving for that reason. But more so people just saying, maybe this isn't exactly what I want. And maybe, you know, for organizations that allow people to work from home, and now there's a huge debate, you know, do we let people work from home? How much do we bring them back? My belief is that only time will tell, because I think even people are not sure, you know, we can say what it is that we want today based on what we know about ourselves today. Um, but that can change. And that's why it's so important for organizations to to really keep a pulse on that. But what was really shocking to me is so I've worked in HR technology pretty much my entire career. 
And my entire career, I've known how difficult it is to hire tech talent mm. globally. Now, that's gotten exponentially more difficult, but I was actually talking with a friend of mine yesterday who's a chief people officer for an organization in Chicago, and she was saying, Sonia, it is, it's getting incredibly difficult to get any kind of talent. Almost there's like a shortage of recruiters on the market. There's a shortage of talent acquisition specialists because so many organizations are looking for people and where before they would say, oh, it'll just be a part of your responsibility and a part of your HR function. It is impossible for a generalist to handle that because there's so much to handle. So there are all these incredible dynamics going on. And what we're seeing is one of the survey questions we asked recently is for the individuals who are actually employed full time, are you looking for a job? And to me, I, it was hard to believe that 42% of people said, yes, I'm actively wow. looking. And that is full time employed individuals. And out of, you know, when we added up, you know, would you be open to talking to somebody? Or are you passively looking? It was 75%. Only 25% of people said like, I'm actually okay where I am. And so I just thought, oh, like we're at the brink of chaos. You know, <laughs> what is going to happen with organizations? And so, um, you know, to your point earlier about hearts and minds, I'll say one more thing and then I'll take a breath <laughs> so that it can be more of a dialogue than a monologue. Um, one thing that I, that I think will be really interesting for organizations that are not really looking at their culture is that my concern is that in some ways this is going to become a bidding war. Meaning, you know, I'm going to give you $50,000, I'll give you 55, I'll give you 60. And that at some point, the perception is that individuals will go just to the highest bidder. Now, I think there are some, maybe, um, but I think, gosh, like they're, you know, studying business and thinking about competitive advantage of an organization. Like if we're going to equate this, you know, to CEO speak and maybe something that they're really used to thinking about is almost everything that I've learned, you know, from MBA theories and the likes of Simon Sinek and others is that you don't necessarily want to be the cheapest option on the market, right? When you're a product, when you're a platform, you don't want, because it's easy for others. Like if you don't have anything else, somebody can always underbid you and it's just not sustainable. And, and I've got to think, you know, for CEOs and for organizations that are saying like, ah, you know, are just people easier? They go like, just throw some more money. We'll get them that way. That there's a huge danger in that because if you're offering somebody, let's say five thousand dollars, then somebody more than somebody else's, but there's nothing truly incredible about your culture. There's no reason for somebody to say stay. What would keep them from maybe you know two months, three months down the road taking the next best offer? Because maybe during the interview process. They hadn't heard from someone else and now they do. So there, it's got to be more than that. So I think for organizations that are just thinking about it being more transactional, I, I think that they're going to be in for uh, an ugly surprise. Anyways, I got a lot more to <laughs> say, but let me take a breath. Like I said, <laughs> see if there's an area you want to dig into a little more, but that's just what was top of mind that I just wanted to throw out there. <laughs> well, it was extremely on point. Um, that was going to be my next question was, it's not just about money, right? Um, I think that, you're absolutely right. That's something that CEOs understand. They they can say, you know, which is funny because pay pay wages, at least in the States, have been stagnant for years and years. So they haven't been doing that. 
right? So the, they haven't been maintaining mm. the need for a growing salary all along. So a lot of people are, are upset about that. And it says more when you don't do that. It says more than that we don't want to spend more money on you. It says that we don't value you. So I think you're absolutely right. People are out there. They're looking for more money, of course. Of course. I mean, that's why I'm working on it. I wouldn't work if I was being paid. But I also want to have a good fit with where I am. I want to be developing myself, advancing. I want to be respected. And those organizations that do that and do it well are out there. The question is, are they branding themselves well? And for those other organizations that aren't doing that, are they aware that that's happening in their yeah. in their own organization. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's a it's a fantastic question, and I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's probably, sadly, still organizations that don't value or don't understand the value you need to show to humans, and the idea that somebody wants to feel appreciated, somebody wants to feel cared for, somebody wants that connection. I think in most cases, the time that they'll find talent is when there is an oversupply, because what's what's interesting today, even maybe more than, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, like absolutely more than that is so much information is public. And so when you want to go and find out what a company is really like, you check, you can check, you know, their LinkedIn profile or certain things. You can check Glassdoor. More than likely, you know, somebody who knows somebody that's worked there, depending on the size of the company. But very rarely is it absolutely impossible to find out you know, to not be able to find out information beyond the hiring process. Also, when you have a culture that doesn't value people as much, it shows in the hiring process as well. And so I think, you know, the last time you and I spoke, we spoke about empathy. And I'm an even bigger proponent of that today. Just the value, the connection, the understanding someone, really valuing human beings. And so I think that if that's not a part of your culture, it will show in the interview process and most people will care because organizations are exponentially placing importance on that. Now, something else that I get asked a lot is, you know, okay, so there's this whole thing around pay and we understand that we need to, you know, pay the right wages. The person, as much as I've also talked about that salary shouldn't, should not be connected to the feeling of self-worth. I think there's just something human about that, that we, it's like almost the easiest to measure and people have a threshold and maybe I don't need to be in the top 10 percentile, but again, wage information is more readily available all the time. And so I feel like if I'm, if I'm getting paid less to your point, it trickles down to everything else in our lives. It trickles down to how we can support ourselves, how we can support our families. So you have to be within a certain threshold. But one of the things that I'm, I'm telling you know, as many organizations as, as would listen to me is to, to reflect, take a step back and say, okay, assuming I can pay fair wages for my individuals, why would they select me? Because I won't be the only one that can pay those fair wages. And so I've done, I do some individual, I'm an organizational psychologist. I do some individual work. I, I think a lot about organizations and what they can do as a whole and I almost, you know, draw a parallel that for me as an individual, I cannot be great at everything. Forget it. It's not humanly possible. I will have so much anxiety and I will just, oh, like, it is It is not time and effort well spent to try to excel at everything because it's, that's just not how life works. What's a lot more effective is to say me as a human as a worker, but as a person, as a mother, as a daughter, as a spouse, as all of those things, how do I want to show up every day? 
And what do I want to contribute to others? And let me be amazing at that. And for those things where I can't, how do I compensate that it's not painful to those around me, but that they maybe know that I won't be a gourmet chef. Mm -hmm. I'll provide a good enough dinner, Mm -hmm. but I will show up energized every day, loving them up, squeezing my kids' cheeks. You know, that will be me. And food will figure out, we'll be fed, but maybe not a Michelin star meal. So how does that translate to organizations? I think organizations now, it's more critical than ever to do a little bit of soul searching, do a little bit of identity. Most companies have their values, right? Whether it's written on the wall or whether it's now, you know, in some kind of technology. But who are you really? Even out of those values, if you wanted to make a stake in the ground and say, I am going to be incredible at innovation or I'm going to be incredible at you know giving back to the community or I'm going to be amazing at developing our people and I'm going to make sure that every single person that enters this organization no matter how long or short they stay that they feel like they're leaving a significantly more knowledgeable person skilled person like figure out what it is and then get really good at it and then to your point earlier like shout it from the rooftops But when you have that understanding of who you want to be, it becomes a lot easier to know how to implement things internally. And it becomes a lot more easier and focused to actually share that story externally as well. Really well said. I I think one of the things I want to talk about is I think HR people tend to have a greater awareness of the need to understand their workforce than CEOs typically and and other executives um, because there's all these studies that they do, uh, and they're my favorite studies, where they'll ask CEOs the same questions that they ask employees. And they'll ask the CEO something like, how great are you inspiring your workforce? 80% will say, yeah, I'm amazing at it. I really inspire them. Then the employees will say 30% say that they were inspired by their executive. And that's not just to bash executives. I mean, we can all use a little humility, myself included. But if you're not in the day-to-day of your employees, how will you know? You you won't. Yeah. So t- understand that, internalize it, and say if there's a if there's a hiring crisis at my organization, um, if people are, are leaving left and right, or even if they're just leaving at a moderately larger pace than than usual, maybe it's time to ask the questions we need to ask to get a little bit of a better understanding than what we think we're doing for our employees. Let's find out what we're really doing for them and what we're not doing. Yeah. It's not a question, but no. But I, I have an opinion. Let's <laughs> so you don't have to have your <laughs> I've got, I've got thoughts around. So it's, it's so interesting that you said that because it is one of again the first conversations I have with almost anybody that will listen is around the data that we've seen in our studies and how executives experience a culture and how people below them experience a culture. And oftentimes there's just a divide of the executive suite because they've defined something, they believe in it. And probably the way they experience organization is as such. And then either there's a big gap and then everybody else experiences things differently, or sometimes it's almost the cascade where, you know, the farther away you get from the sea level, the the different experiences. And so to me, I think to your point, showing data around that is crucial because otherwise, how do you convince someone of that? How do you convince someone especially who might care and feel like, I don't know, but like we provide amazing development to our people. Well, what does that look like? How do you measure that? How do you make certain of that? And then also, again, I think one of the incredibly powerful things that we get when we give people a voice 
is how do you want something to manifest itself? So one, I don't know if I'm like late to the game or if this really was eye-opening in general, but it was eye-opening to me. What happened in a study that we did earlier this year is there was a big difference in how you ask employees something, meaning I'll give you an example. My employer cares about my well-being. I feel like my manager cares about my well-being. So it's the display of, does somebody have my best interest at heart? All thumbs up, good, you know, four point something out of five. Then we asked a different set of questions. You know, do you feel like you can take time off to rest? Do you feel like you can unplug? Do you feel like your levels of stress are manageable? Completely different levels of agreement and different means. And so what does that mean? That means that I, as an employee, do believe my leadership team is trying. But what this data is telling me is that what they're doing is actually not directly solving my problem. There's something else. And so how do you have that conversation? And this is where, you know, with my stats background, I'm a huge lover of quantifiable data because you can do really fancy and cool measures with it. Oh, but last year and this year, I fell in even more in love with open-ended questions. Because when you just ask people, you know, tell me what is it that you're struggling with? Tell me what it is that you need. It was incredible how insightful it was, but not necessarily overly complicated where you grab your head and say, oh, well, we could never solve for that. No, but it was maybe not the first things that came to mind. And so when you had people open up and say, well, this is, you know, I don't, why are you stressed? Well, I don't want to let my teammates down. It wasn't, oh, I have a terrible manager and he or she is. No, no, no. It's that I feel so conscientious that if somebody, you know, if I'm in Europe, in in Munich, and somebody's in San Francisco, and they ask me something, I feel like I, sh- I want to answer right away. And so how do you put some guards around that to say, hey, we don't want to, you know, limit you in San Francisco about what you ask. But what we're finding for your colleagues is that they care so much and that they're conscientious enough that they will answer. So can you do us a favor and this a lot of times, depending on the culture, came to the titles too. So if somebody with a C-level title or a president title asked, like the pressure was even higher, even if it was like, oh, I just have something top of mind, you know, let me ask Dominic this, but I could wait and do it tomorrow. So there were a lot of those communication things that were actually not difficult to solve, um, but were just not top of mind for us. You know, maybe there were different programs in place and we put in technologies to communicate but when we really, you know, peel back and, and asked what it was, there were things that <laughs> they were causing challenges. But now that we knew what they were, in some ways, were shockingly easy to solve. So I, I do think that there's that conversational opportunity, um, you know, going back to your original question, because I took us a little bit of a detour is, you know, where, again, our executives, I think they love stories. I think storytelling is important. But when you have that supported with data and information that resonates with them, um, brings it much more to life. And, and again, the idea to me, I think, is always not to make people feel bad, not to make somebody feel like, ah, oh, you know, you're in your tower and you're disconnected. It's like, no, we're all humans. We're all in a place where we're experiencing things differently. And that is normal. That is to be expected. But in areas where you want people to have similar experiences, here's where we can make you aware of that. And then here's how we can help you close that gap. So I think that the idea of, you know, like, unfortunately, 
our mind is so trained to look for those, you know, the worst scores and the biggest opportunity to improve and always like, oh, I know, I can't believe that we're not doing well there. And that's not the point. Again, we're all human. It's to understand what's most important to us and then what's that opportunity to change. And now a little bit of information about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Namely. Your HR platform should make your life easier. That's what Namely does. Namely is the all-in-one HR platform that employees and employers love. Namely is modernizing HR as we know it. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely is the HR solution that can grow with your company. With Namely's intuitive centralized platform, your employees can request PTO, update their benefits, review their pay stub. There's even a news feed where they can stay engaged and show appreciation for coworkers. Plus, Namely can handle everything related to payroll, simplify onboarding, and keep your company compliant, saving your HR team hours every week. Best of all, Namely specialists make switching headache-free, so you can move from your current HR platform, even a fully outsourced professional employer and organization, or PEO, to a more modern tech solution. Build a better workplace with Namely today, and for a limited time, get free implementation and PEO transition services when you make the switch from a PEO. Go to Namely.com today. That's Namely.com. And now, back to our episode. One of the things you brought up there was, you know, the open-ended questions, which, by the way, are my favorite, too. When we do surveys, I love reading the responses, mostly because people are hilarious. You know, they just say, <laughs> and you can, in our survey software, we can't find out who you are individually, but we can look at how yeah. one person answered all the questions. So you find, like, kind of a funny mm-hmm. or insightful or maybe even, like, a little bit rude comment, and you can track it through. Um, that, that's neither here nor there. Um, just a secret joy that I have in my job. Uh, <laughs> Is that people, and I think employers leverage this all the time, maybe even without knowing it, but people, you're right, will, like with that communication issue, they will want to do everything that they can to to apply themselves as, as much as they can at work. And this has become actually a bit of a crisis, right? Because when everyone went remote, people are answering emails at nine o'clock, they're answering at 12, they're answering their they're doing work in their spare time. They're not unwinding. And, you know, if you ask that person, is your, is your company making you do that? Almost never. It's not the, and the company, the company has to come in and say, you have to stop doing that because people take it upon themselves to, to be the best that they can be. And at the same time, employers, it, um, you know, they, they get value from that all the time. That's why so many organizations do unlimited um, paid time off because they know that people will work harder for longer and they'll take less time off. But therein lies an incredible danger, which is people will burn themselves out if you don't put the guardrails up. And you won't, if you don't think to ask that question of your employees, you'll just see the results of it and you won't, you won't know why. So let's talk a little bit about how we get, because I think, Everyone at this point, if you're an HR manager, you should know that doing surveys is a possibility. You can survey your people. They Are they the most effective way? What's the most effective way to, to get feedback from your employees? Yeah, gosh, you know, I, I don't think there's one answer. Obviously, I work for a survey company and I'm there because I believe in it. And one of... Um, when I, when I first joined and I thought about how do we want to communicate this, I came up with a tagline of empathy at scale. Again, going back to our conversation around empathy before, because I thought um, there is it is so incredibly important for people to individually connect. And for me, 
it's always as a leader, as a manager, been important to sit down with my team and know how they are, like really know how they're and build that trust, build that trust and opening up myself. And usually I show up and I mean, my colleagues, my entire life had been made fun of me because 9am and I am in a great mood. I'm ready to take on the <laughs> world. They're like, where is this energy? Like, what is going on? Um, and I know it can probably be slightly annoying, but it, it's just me. Like I, I'm that happy person that, you know, will answer, ah, hi, how are you? What's going on? Now that aside, oh, I've had hard days, hard weeks, hard months, hard moments, like things like whether it's work-related, personally related, where I just, I feel stuck. And you know what? Most often I share that with my team because I don't want that positivity, that personality that I have to make it seem like that I'm not human or to make it seem like that I'm hiding something. It is a trust that takes a while to build with a person, to build with a team, to get them to the comfort level of however much or little they want to share individually, they have that space. And I've actually had a colleague of mine ask me once like, hey, you know, how much do you think I should share with you? And I said, oh, that's completely up to you. But what I want to do is create a space that if you want to tell me something, like if there is something that's going on personally and you feel like it might impact your work and you feel like it could help you, if you want to share that with me, I want you to feel comfortable enough to. But if you don't, that's okay too. It is completely up to you. I just want to create that space where you feel like you can show up and be you. So I think on the individual level, it is so important for, for leaders, for managers to have that relationship with their team. Now, are most people capable of doing that? I believe so. Do most people feel like it's a part of their job? Do most people you know, prioritize it? I'm not sure they do today. I, I'm a believer and I'm an optimist that we're moving in that direction of humanizing the workplace more. But why did I spend time talking about that is because that's where I think that technology and surveys do have a place that while you encourage and you coach and you teach your leaders to connect in that kind of way, then being able to have a conversation with people at scale in an organization makes it less dependent for a really great person to stay on who their leader is or just even what kind of connection they have. Um, and also what we were saying earlier is that there's something about numbers that drives change. Like I know when I when I joined Question Pro, I joined last December, and in January, we decided to do a new survey. And we talked, we asked about diversity and inclusion, because we're not a very big organization, we're about 300 people, but we're across multiple continents, multiple time zones, multiple cultures. So for an organization of that size, it's, it's quite diverse. And we wanted to make sure that everybody was comfortable. And we were also all working from home. Right. So being a technology company with a lot of developers, with people in different professions around the world, diversity and inclusion was really key. We also looked at development to say, you know, it's again, it's been a really challenging year to just get the basics right. But we don't want to take our eye off and people feel stuck that they're not growing, that they're not learning. And then the biggest chunk of the survey we asked about well-being about stress, about burnout, about relationships at work, around connections at work, because that's an, I'm another huge proponent of you know relationships and having positive connections at work. And when we got the results, I presented them back to first our tiny executive team of three people. 
now, mind you, these guys are in the survey business, right? Like, so it's not like this was, you know, oh, brand new. But the insights that this one survey brought, they took action like that. And again, it wasn't anything, if I told them before, hey guys, maybe we should like start a learning budget or people are probably stressed out. I don't think they would have been like, oh, Sanya, no way. But something about quantifying this information created so much more urgency. And then what happened is when we reported that back to our workforce, like we had a town hall and we have a channel on, on Slack. And I mean, it just erupted. Like people were in it. You know, we, we gave people one additional company daytime, you know, day off, which a lot of organizations are doing. We gave a learning budget. Like we announced that we're going to regionally do some more time off measures for what was best for each continent, for each culture, what would be most meaningful. And people were just, wow, you know, it was such a big deal. And so I think in that sense, for HR and to your point, they, most people know the power of surveys. But it was really interesting still to see that reaction and to see the urgency of getting something done. And what it also allowed you is to craft that story. And for us, our diversity and inclusion stats were off the charts. And that's the first thing when I presented back to the company, I was like, we, every one of you needs to be so proud of this because we just went through like some of the worst times globally and you showed up for each other. And that, that really means the world, like beyond the day-to-day work. Um, But what we're seeing is that we have a very inclusive culture. It's amazing, but there are ways that we can alleviate stress. There are ways that we can help you prevent burnout. And, you know, here are the actions and the measures that we're going to take there. So again, that's why, because I, I do work for a survey company and I'm so passionate about the power of it, but I always want to be cautious to you know, not sound like I'm the person saying, oh, all communication should be automated and those conversations shouldn't be happening because you can post people. And that are, it's not a substitute, but I think to have that connection across the board in different kind of ways, I do think HR can find a way to really combine all of that and create the most meaningful change, both through that individual touch all the way to that more macro, here's the data, here's what's going on in the organization, and here's you know where we need to focus on closing the gap and what we need to celebrate. Yeah, uh, really, really well said. And that leads us to sort of the, the issue of, okay, we know that we have to do surveys, we know we have to collect information, but as you were mentioning before, the way you ask those questions and then what questions you ask Obviously, you got to get that right or else, uh, you know, you're going to get misleading information, right? How do HR people tackle that? Should they just ask people what they want them, what questions they want to be asked? Or how do you, you know, the, the preliminary yeah. survey, what do you want us to know about you? And then and then we'll ask you that question. I don't know. Yeah. What's your approach there? What's your advice? Oh, that is like a billion dollar question. So I'm seeing a few different things. Um, And I think for me, it was actually really eye opening. And this is again, like the, you know, self discovery and my entire life training has been in topics related to HR. I went to grad school right under, I mostly studied psychology in undergrad. I went to grad school to study organizational psychology after that, right? So when you're embedded in that kind of world, you forget that not everybody has that knowledge base, right? Like that's what I'm an expert in. 
And so to me, for the things that I just thought were so natural to know to ask, I realized the more that I worked with people that, of course, that's not the case, because why would it be? They don't live and breathe this every day. The one movement and something that we're doing, and I'm seeing a lot of other organizations are doing, you know, as well in, in the survey world is, is helping organizations ask what, these are the questions. So if you're interested in well-being of your employees, here are some questions. If you're interested in diversity and inclusion, here are some questions. It doesn't solve everything, but it gets you a step closer. Um, you know, we talked before, what's really important to your organization? What do you want to, you know, stake a claim for? And it's interesting because recently there was, you know, a big, I don't know if scandal is the right word, but but with Goldman Sachs, where employees actually did their own survey to show how stressed out they are and to say that, you know, I don't even have time to shower. And, you know, wanted this like comment was burned into my head is that one person said, you know, I went through foster care and this is worse. Like imagine being an organization that's getting something like that. So again, it's, you know, it's not just about saying to an organization, oh, here's a survey template or, you know, the problems are solved. So for example, for me, as somebody that's so passionate about this, we're looking for ways around how can we help companies understand better what to ask. And then also we've been huge proponents of how do you ask that and how do you frame that? Because a lot of times in a typical survey, you would say, thank you for taking our annual survey. We're going to ask you a bunch of things and please on a scale of one to five, you know, tell us how much you agree with each statement. That doesn't give me warm, fuzzy feelings. It really doesn't. And so we've been sharing a lot of even example that, you know, the survey that we did internally that we started and we said, you know, it's been a really hard year for everybody. For some people, it's been incredibly hard. For some people, maybe a little less, but all of us have been affected by it. And we understand that and we care about you. And we want this to be the absolute best place for you to be. To do that, we need your help. We need you to really tell us how we're doing, what can we do better. And so, you know, for me, again, being new, I wanted to ask a million questions. I wanted it to be like, and be ready because this is going to be a 95, you know, minute survey. But of course, you can't do that. And so I said, you know, like what we said before, like taking a step back as an organization and saying what's most important to me. And for us, it was well-being. And that's why we spend so much time on that. Maybe for other organizations, it might be diversity and inclusion. Maybe they had, and that, what could have happened is I took a bet. I took a calculated bet to say, you know, we'll ask about 10 items for diversity and inclusion. And we'll ask about 20. I'm making that up. I don't remember the exact number of items, but, you know, about wellness, because I'm more concerned about that. What could have happened is that we could have been doing great on wellness and worse on diversity and inclusion. I wasn't sure. But I didn't want to paralyze myself by not asking or overcalculating or thinking, what do we do? And, and our organization's not really, we did a small pilot, um, but it's not so big to do, you know, we're 300 people. So we're going to survey 100 people, see what happens and then change questions. Like, um, and sometimes that's smart, but it takes a really long time. And then it also keeps away from, from taking action. So we decided what was most important to us. We made a calculated bet. But then also what we asked in the end is, what did we not ask you that you want to share with us? So we left that that open-ended. Now, you know, could there have been some things that maybe people didn't even think of or would have been important to them? Probably. You always run that risk. But we try to take these specific sections and then say, you know, again, with the spirit of us really wanting to make sure that you feel valued, that you feel taken care of. Is there anything that you want to share with us that we didn't ask you about? 
and just love that. And and there were there wasn't a ton of oh you know I have this recommendation and that, but there were a few things. Hey, would you think about this? And also, um, people maybe reframing some things that we asked about. But I'm glad they did because they said it in a way that was meaningful to them. And so we understood, ah, okay, when we think about these certain kind of things, if we're communicating in this kind of way, but our employees are using a different language or just a different way to phrase it, we need to remember that that's what's meaningful to them. So when we talk about it, it's clear that we're on the same page. So um, I don't I don't think that there is you know a magic answer to your question, but it is something that I think more again organizations like ours, it's even a technology company at heart, are saying if I'm if I'm on the team and I have the ability to help you, let me guide you through that because a lot of times people in HR they know it, they know their people, they know their people. I always say that you know your people better than I ever will. It doesn't matter how many degrees I have or how many years of experience you live and breathe that every day. But let me give you my perspective. Let me help you validate and know that you make, let me help you feel really good about what you're doing and give you that confidence that you seem to maybe be lacking a little bit, but shouldn't. And let me help you guide, let me help guide you down this path. So that's something that we are seeing more organizations doing because the, the one thing could not make me more happy is seeing more organizations who care. And those are the number one organizations I want to work with. And I'd, I've been asked before, you know, well, what happens to the companies that don't care? And you kind of mentioned some at the beginning. And I said, you know, I don't know. But what I do know is that there are a lot of them that do care and are looking for the best way to execute on that. And those are the ones I want to spend my time with. And the other ones I hope in the long term come because they see the value but there's still a huge, huge opportunity to make the companies that do really want to do right by their people do it even more effectively. Yeah, and that's really important to remember, I think, because it's easy to get down um, and, and think that obviously there's a lot of improvement that needs to be done. And as someone who explores these things regularly, I see disappointing trends just as much as I see positive trends. Um, and it's important to try and focus on the correct the, the negative trends, but in, encourage and support and lift up those positive ones. Um, in in lawyering, I get to use that term because I work with lawyers all the time. Um, <laughs> there's a sort of a clicheism, which is that you never want to ask a question in court that you don't know the answer to, right? I think we might be able to adapt that a little bit to surveys is that you don't ever want to ask a question that you can't act upon the answer. So let's talk about that you mentioned it earlier how your organization at least took action right away based on on the feedback uh how do how should organizations position themselves to be able to act on their feedback and what should they do when they find out something that maybe they didn't didn't want to hear yeah you know i sometimes i think about that and i think about having lunch and going and hopefully again soon being able to smile at people, you know, in public and having just a huge chunk of spinach stuck in my teeth. <laughs> and so it's the reality. And maybe nobody will tell me, but it's there. <laughs> and I might, I might not know. And I might never know. Or I might go later to the bathroom and say, oh, you know, I just spent like an hour and a half at a conference with spinach in my teeth and nobody told me. And so I think that 
to your point, um, there, there is some thought and sensitivity around that. So again, my entire research career, one question that I've by far, like basically never seen anybody satisfied in general about is pay. Like everyone wants to make more money. And so a lot of times when organizations ask about that, um, it'll be one of the lower scoring items. It's usually not awful because people are there and people are accepted that pay, but very rarely are people like super thrilled at what they're making. Now, in the current world, when we are worried about people leaving, there could be value in asking that question if you know how to address it. Because if you know that people are looking externally, because, you know, based on the stats we talked about earlier, the majority of people are, you know, at least considering or thinking about it, um, is to have that data point and then be able to speak to it and say, you know, on the survey, we did ask about this. Like we asked you a number of different things. And, you know, in our organization, we really pride ourselves and or we really want to be an inclusive workplace. That is so important to us. And, you know, again, thank you, because the play, the our culture cannot be inclusive without each and every one of you being good to people around you. That's what makes it inclusive. Nothing else does. It's each human who's a part of this organization. And so we need to celebrate that. And you, you know, you pick out different things that you know are important to people because people want to be respected. They want to feel valued. So it's not just lip service for the organization, but it means that every person is actually happy showing up to work and feels included. And then you can address and say, but listen, you know, there were some things, you know, we asked you about pay and, you know, we got mixed results. Now let us talk about that a little bit, you know, and and there's more and more um, research. And I don't think this is new, but it's maybe coming back a little bit around transparency, around like, not that now, you know, you pull out your earnings and you say, well, this is how much, you know, necessarily like the company earned and this is how much. But there's some conversation around that. There's some thought around that. And there's, you know, to say, like, we want to make sure that each one of you are paid competitively. We want to make sure that, you know, we don't pay below market rates. So if you are concerned around this, you know, approach your manager. Let's look at some external statistics. But we are really big believers that we want to pay you fairly. But we also want to be much more than that to you. Right. Because we don't, you know, in the way our company functions for us to pay like in the top 10 or top 5% is financially impossible. But because we appreciate and value each one of you so much, we've made sure to do some other things that we hope, you know, will bring value to you as a human today and down the road. And you can talk about training, you can talk about development, you can talk about mentoring. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because I, for some reason, whenever I think about work, I always parallel it to human relationships. And a lot of us commit to a life partner, at least, you know, oftentimes for a longer period of time than an average person is at a job, but you know, it it varies. But you don't, you know, you commit to somebody because, you know, they treat you a certain way they provide a certain kind of ambience at home, like there, there are all these different qualities about them. Um, and they earn a certain wage, which, you know, helps you or maybe doesn't in your in your lifestyle. We don't meet somebody who makes a little bit more money and decide, well, I'm going to jump there because, you know, I just met John and John's a CEO and, you know, my partner's also like, it's usually, it's not how we make life decisions around who we want to be surrounded with in our personal lives. And so I think the better we can do as organizations to communicate that holistic approach, because I think... You know, you're right. It is scary 
to ask somebody something and find something out and you can't take action on it. But if you do think that's a reason why people might leave, if you do think that somebody else has that that you don't have, in some ways it's better to understand how big of a challenge that is and be able to address it and explain why you can't do that and explain why you've chosen to do other things that you can do you think are you know as valuable, if not more valuable. And then what happens is that if you can't provide that to the people that find it really important, maybe they'll leave. And that's that's okay. People will, you know, sometimes people leave, but at least you know and you can plan for it. And also on the flip end, you can have that added transparency where you're hiring someone. So for me, again, I have some good strengths as a human and I have some, you know, not such great strengths. And when I've hired different people on my team, I'll be transparent with them. And I'll say, I will put you on a pedestal. I will want you to love working here and feel developed. Now, if you need me to do this or this, like sales, I've never been in direct sale. I, I don't I don't have that specific skill set. But if you come and work with me, I will empower you. I'll give you what you need. But I need you to figure this one part out. And I would much rather be transparent because if I'm not and somebody joins, they'll figure that out eventually. And you know what? Like, I've had people, and that, that is a true true example for just me personally. I've had people apply for my sales roles that haven't had much experience. And mutually, we've decided it's just not going to be a good fit for either one of us. But it's good. For, it's better for us to know now. So when you have that information through something like a survey, not only can you address that because it exists anyways, your employees with your employees like that doubt or concern. So you can address that and explain, but then also in your recruitment, you can have that conversation with someone and say, Hey, uh, in our organization, this is what we do amazingly well. And if that's important to you, you're going to love being here. Now, here is something that we just don't excel in. We made that conscious decision so probably if that's something really important to you, maybe this is not the best place for you to be. I think that having those kinds of conversations and that kind of self-awareness um, is really important, I think, especially with what we're about to see um, going on <laughs> in the labor market, particularly in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that is fan- yeah, fantastic answer. Uh, I think you're, you're right on point there. I... I like the idea of asking the questions that maybe you can't do something or, uh, you know, can't necessarily do something about. So the axiom that we learned from the lawyers doesn't hold up or maybe shouldn't. Um, Because you're absolutely right. It's better to know, better to know. You can, uh, you can account for it. I can't imagine a scenario where knowing doesn't help you. Um, But I do know that my strategy, when there's something that is particularly challenging or unpleasant, I do have an instinct to, not explore or find out anything else about it. I've, I have to overcome it all the time. I think it's very yeah. human and that's, that's the true for me and it's true for CEOs and it's true for, for employees facing, facing this stuff is hard. It becomes real. It was real, but it becomes more real when you look at it. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unavoidably. I, I have the same. <laughs> I have the same. I figure I, you know, all of us are flawed humans. I'm a flawed human and I know the things that I need to work on. And so it's funny for me because like, yeah, sometimes I'll say like, oh, I'm terrified to ask because what if there's something else that I didn't know about and that adds it to the list? Like, let's just keep improving on the things that I already know. Um, but I have found over time that there there were things, you know, on both like, but it's interesting on both good ends and bad ends. 
I would say, is that sometimes, you know, for an organization or a human, you not, might not be aware of your strengths either. Yes. Or you might not be aware of something that you're doing particularly well that's really important to people. So I think for companies to keep that in mind as well is that it's not always on the other end. It's always something like, wow, I didn't know that that's what, you know, our employees valued about our culture and what a great story to tell. So I think remembering to come on both ends. To your point, I think a lot of times, like if you're worried about something, either it's like, yeah, it's not great, or maybe it's not as bad as you thought. Maybe it won't be a strength. Uh, but there, are, I think, are things where we'll be like, oh, we're doing pretty good at that. And it's like, wow, no, actually, we're doing amazing. We need to talk about this more. So, but again, not human nature, but something that we need to keep talking about to remind people <laughs> that's the case because it won't it won't come naturally. <laughs> Yeah, that's what so much of this is about is overcoming the immediate instincts and, you know, recognize them, of course, and, and then understand that usually if there's a hesitancy or if there's some sort of, or if you get uncomfortable about something, usually there's something powerful there. And if you can just intelligently unpack it without self-destructing, <laughs> um, there's a, you're going to find that you're going to find something really valuable there. I think it's about all the time that we have for today. Um, but thank you so much, uh, Sonia, for, for taking the time to join us today. Oh, Jim, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I just, I absolutely love their conversation and, and the insights you shared. So thank you. You're absolutely <laughs> welcome. Um, listeners, we're always interested in suggestions that you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with your suggestions of any thoughts or concerns you might have about the podcast. Feel free to say hi. Tell us how we're doing. Um, we're also now available on Spotify and Audible. Uh, so basically, you can find us anywhere that podcasts can be found. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.